What is going on, everyone? It is Daft Picks. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, alongside me today, as always, is producer Parker. Just say hello. Hey, what's up? And you all know me. Uh, big, big opening show for the start of the season. Uh, just a heads up, our producer's a little under the weather, so if you hear him uh, slowly passing away in the background, you know why. Doing great. Allegedly. So, without further ado, finally, uh, we, during our little break there, our little hiatus. Yeah, it's all my fault, by the way. <laughs> I'm currently in a senior research methods capstone course, and I was working on my literature review, so that, like, all I cared about was that. So, but we're, but we're back. That is handed in. That is going to be revised, and things are going great. Uh, the struggle of college students. But yeah, during our little hiatus there, there wasn't really much news, so it, it kind of fell at the right time. Um, obviously, now we're back with all four sports. Well, the sports equinox came and came and passed with Game Seven of the World Series, but more importantly, hockey is back. It's our it's kind of our bread and butter here. Big news to start the season: the Boston Bruins are the team to beat. They are, they're what fourteen and one. It's absurd. I've never seen a team with only four players be. I'm sorry, five players be this good. But that kind of goes to show just how dominant their top line is. Yeah, I, I look at, like, uh, David Pasternak, he is maybe the most slept-on player. Like, he's so good at all ends of the ice, and he is such a dominant goal scorer. Yeah, he's only, like, what, 23, 24? Like, he's still a really young dude. And don't forget, he was, like, the 22nd pick in that draft. That was the same year the Penguins, I know, picked Kasper Kapanen. David Pasternak, people were afraid of him because he was, like, kind of undersized. Boy, I'm sure they're afraid of him for different reasons now. Oh, I, I'm so sick of hearing this. I really thought we got past this of being like, oh, undersized forwards. We have Braden Point. We had Marty San Louis. We have Johnny Gaudreau. It's like, how many times do we need to teach you this lesson, old man? To quote SpongeBob. I'm serious. Like, how many times well, do we need to do the same song and dance where people realize, hey, it doesn't matter the size. It matters the points. I'm sorry. Did you not watch the draft in June? Like, just this past June, they skipped Cole Caulfield to, like, the end of the first round, if, if not the second. I don't remember exactly Wasn't he, where he like, fell. the leading goal scorer or yes. something? Yes. He broke league? all the USA records. He, he's broken all the records since Matthews and Hughes. Like, he was right there with Jack Although, Hughes. Although, let me points. guess. Everyone was saying it was because of Jack Hughes, not him, right? Well, actually, I think this was the time they kind of, like, sort of understood that they're both good. Like, Jack Hughes, for what he brought, I believe they actually played on separate lines. Of course, they, I'm sure they had a ton of time together. But Cole Caulfield is sort of a play driver himself. And I, again, I don't understand how he fell. But that, that was a conversation we've, we've had and passed here. More so to the point, David Pasternak, he is a great example of what happens when you're a smart person picking players who are undersized. Yeah, especially picking guys who have really high hockey IQ. He's one of those players. And he takes passes directly from Patrice Bergeron, who's probably one of the smartest hockey players in the game. You have two like <laughs> extremely intelligent players on the ice at the same time. I'd say you have three because you've got Brad Marchand. He's not. <laughs> I, mean, he's... I wouldn't call him. I wouldn't call him a cerebral player. Let me let me argue that because I think there is a certain element of of hockey IQ and a separate part of it to know what you can and can't get away with. Like, that's a different sort of hockey IQ. Knowing what is acceptable and how to ride the line and still get 80 points. There's a certain element to that where it requires you to be hockey intelligent, you know? Yeah, you got me there. I, I mean, that team is just built so good. Uh, Tuka Rask is incredible, obviously. he's. I think we're finally past 
the Tuka Rask of, of old days where he would sort of struggle from time to time. He's really consistent. He's probably a top five goal in the league. That defense is still solid. Zidane Chara is still, at worst, top four defensemen. I mean, they really have what it uh, takes. Charlie McAvoy is one of the best young defensemen in the game, and he doesn't want to leave Boston ever. Tory Krug, vastly underrated. <sighs> Again, undersized, but that's another, that's another hill to die on. But yeah, Boston's been great. I think a lot of people sort of understood that Boston was going to be good. But here's the thing. I heard um, another podcast that I listened to talking about how there's a little bit of a hangover going on here. Like the Lightning, they look shell-shocked right now. They don't look like the Tampa Bay Lightning of last year. Even the Blues sort of look like they're, you know, a bit of a hockey hangover. The Bruins, they're like, they're ready to go out there and win again. They're, they're not holding anything back. I'm curious how long this flame goes until, because remember, it wasn't that long ago where the Montreal Canadiens were always the team that would start off like 10-0 and and 1, and then they would end up like 25-35-2 or something like that. Yeah, that season they started, what was it, 19-0, and then they ended up with uh, 38 wins, I think. Well, yeah, well, that was because I think Carey Price died. So, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think that was part of the reason, yeah, honestly. Yeah, that's, that's, that's about it. Um, <laughs> no, you're not wrong. Alternatively... The worst team in the league. Do you know who it is without looking? The Wild? It is not the Wild. It is also not the Senators. It is the Detroit Red Wings, who, after starting the season, I think, at like 4-1 and one, or some equivalent of 4-1, and one, they, are, they have one win since week one, and then we are in November. So they have managed to really suck the air straight to the bottom. How? Uh, purposeful thinking. Well, uh, right, but they still have a lot of good young players that are starting. They are also consistently playing players like Danny DeKaiser and Jonathan Bernier, I think, is their backup. What? They, wait, really? I he, didn't know that. He was their that. backup last year. I think he's still their backup, yeah. Oh, God. That's, it, that's like, not ideal. No, their defense is pretty terrible. Their offense is pretty terrible, minus, like, Larkin, Athanasio. I mean, Mantis really... Mantis really... He's a good player, but he's not a great player. Like, he doesn't elevate your team like Dylan Larkin does. I remember he started off the season, like, with six goals in two games or something like that. Or, or I don't know if it was that exact number, but he was like, oh, I can't wait to break 50. And I'm just thinking they were like, buddy, you're going to be lucky if you break 20. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the that whole team is a wreck. Except Dylan Larkin, of course. Dylan Larkin's vastly under. Well, yes. Dylan Larkin is the heart and soul of that team. And, I mean, obviously, they have good players coming up. They're do- Let's make no... Beans about it. Like, they are obviously going to be good. Like, they, the Iser the plan yeah, is in full effect. They have a lot of good young players. I'm still waiting for Savechnikov to get guaranteed minutes. I think once he finally starts playing, he's going to give them a spark. We'll see. They also have Philip Hronik. Oh, Hronik, yeah. Yeah, they got Philip Hronik. He's good. Yeah. They also have this other young defenseman. Dennis Cholosky. Yes. I think they could form a solid 1 2 defensive pairing in a couple of years. They just dropped in Maurice Sider. Oh, got, forgot about Cider. They got Flip Zadina. Um, I want to say they have another forward to him missing here, but they have a they have a good team. They the actually, point being, they have a lot of good young talent. The problem is, is that the reason why they're bad right now is because that young talent has no experience playing at the NHL level. Right, growing pains. You brought up Svechnikov. I'd like to just take a second to detour to his brother. You saw what Andre Svechnikov <laughs> did, right? The lacrosse goal. I saw you trade John Tavares for him, and I screamed. I did. In our I, fantasy league. I am winning that trade every single day. You, no. Andre Svechnikov is a star. Did you see his goal, the lacrosse goal, which is why I brought us here? Did you see that goal? No. Behind the net, on his stick, hits the goalie in the helmet and scores behind the net. Like, 
very, very delicious goal. I mean, it's about time the Hurricanes have an offensive catalyst whose name is not Sebastian Aho. That team is for real, for real. Like trading Justin Falk was the best thing they could have done because he's a he was an anchor on that line. Awful, which is weird. But yeah, I mean, he's not he's not a bad defenseman, but he just wasn't good in Carolina. Yeah, well, is like, he? Like, okay. You know what I mean? He's like, not a bad defenseman, but is he a good defenseman? I mean, I'd want him on my team. I'd want him as a forward. Uh, he's not. Okay, so the thing about defense is you have to play it at some point. He doesn't really do that. Nevertheless, I don't really want to go through a full 31 for 31 on each team, but is there an early season surprise you've seen, either good or bad? The Sabres. Really? I'm a little shocked with how well they're playing this year. I know some people are going to be like, oh, they were playing like this last year. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And then they sucked. So I don't know if we're going to see the same thing again. But it's just they've been kind of dominating, and that uh, one rookie they have, whose name escapes me at the moment, has been playing oh, really um, solid. Victor Olsen? Yes. The Golovson, yeah. I've never heard of him. Yeah, he was uh, he was pretty good. Apparently, I, I don't I actually didn't really know much about him either. But yeah, he's killing it. Fun fact for you: coming into this year, because he played at the end of last season, he had not had an even strength goal out of his ten goals he scored in like eight games. All of them were power play. So, he finally got his first even strength goal. I mean, the league growth being a power play specialist. That's Thomas I mean, Vanek. We, we, I mean, we've seen lots of players like that. Uh, like I just said, Thomas Vanek. I mean, he's been doing it for years. Thomas Vanek's still the best, great, but not exceptional player I've ever seen. <laughs> he's extremely mediocre. Right. Yeah, like no, he, it's, it's, I, you covered I, a career. I mean, he's always putting up 50, 60 point seasons. Even now, he's still good for 40. Like, he's yeah. still in his 36. Like, yeah, he's... Getting up there. Yeah. Tell you what, it's good to be that consistent, honestly. Thomas Vanek might be like a really sleeper for Hall of Famer. Like his point totals are not shabby whatsoever. And he's never really played for a really good team either. Right, I mean, he played for Buffalo the majority of his career. Oh, yeah. and the Islanders. Yeah, that's, uh, no thanks. He did play for the Wild for a little bit, but, uh, and they played for the Red that's Wings. That's where Cruz uh, going to die is the Wild. Like, uh, no. I'll tell you what, my early season surprise, and it's, it's not Edmonton, by the way, Carter Hart, like just a single player, he's been awful. He's got like a six GAA, and I know it's. I'm not saying this is what he's what he is. We all know he's a star in the making, but I think there was a certain expectation that he was going to be a goalie this year and not just stand there. I mean, there was a goalie tonight where he didn't even react to. I mean, uh, Pete Mrazek's had similar numbers where his G where I mean his save percentage is like an eight nine nine. Yeah, but he has like seven wins, and it's like. All right. Well, the Flyers aren't winning many games. Correct. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that's that's the major news um, team-wise. You saw the Scott Sabrin hit the other day, right? We kind of got off the Bruins, yeah. but it's pretty pretty absurd. He apparently was posting on Instagram afterward. He only broke his nose by some grace of God. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, this guy got knocked unconscious by David Backus during the game. Look. Let me let me even prophesize this too. He got knocked unconscious while standing up. He got he was watching the video out cold while he was still standing. So he hit the he hit the ice full on impact on his face. Not fun. Yeah. I wouldn't want to hit my face off the ice. That's for sure. Uh, there is obviously some trade rumors going around too. You saw the Tyler Toffoli rumor. Ooh, where do you think he's going? I don't know. So he got scratched last night, which ended his Ironman streak of two seasons. And I mean, totally still a good player. I mean, he's had a rough start, but the Kings have had a rough start. 
And uh, it's I don't know. the Anne's Kopitar show and everyone else. <laughs> Even Drew Doughty's been kind of rough. Yeah. Jonathan Quick has been playing exceptionally bad. He has the second lowest save percentage in the league. Out of qualified goalies. He has an 870. Do you know who has the lowest save percentage? Carter Hart. Martin Jones with an 860. What happened to Martin Jones? Martin Jones doesn't save pucks. What happened to him? I, is he like <laughs> is he like Nick the Nick Foles of hockey? Just Mar- put him in, just play him in the playoffs? Martin Jones for two seasons has been now of course that, that team is not helping him. That offense is horrible. Right, but that's no excuse to No, obviously. Like, you're not gonna win games like that. Like he the only thing that's worse is Aaron Dell has been worse. He's got like an eight fifty. And Aaron Dell's one of the better backups in the league. Well, at least I allegedly. thought. <laughs> I thought. Yeah, he's he that goal. Like, if they could get a save to quote John Torella from like six years ago, it'd be nice if we got a damn occasional save once <laughs> in a while. Like, unbelievable. One thing that I've been thinking about with the Sharks is what if they do a trade with the Coyotes for one of their three goalies? For Ronta, Kemper, or who's the other goalie? Aiden Hill? I mean, maybe. I mean, Ian Hill wasn't bad when he was playing. Because they only have two two actual goalies that I can think they, of. They have Ranta and they have... Kemper. So anyways, so they have two <laughs> good goalies who could start on most teams, I would say. Why yeah. not take a chance on one of them? No, I don't know fair. which one I would go for, honestly, because they're both pretty good. I kind of lean a little bit towards Ranta a bit. He's injury prone though. I mean, Dar- Darcy Kemper. For those of the, like, for those who haven't really followed Darcy Kemper, he was a standout goalie. He kind of struggled when he got drafted. I mean, he was supposed to be the next one, and he just he wasn't bad. He just didn't pay like a lot. He of- used to play for the Wild, correct? Right. Like, it, okay, I'm gonna take you on a on a journey through history here. Back in the day when it was the two big go- names in goaltending, sorry, big three: Jack Campbell. Darcy Kemper and Dustin Tokarski. Those three were supposed to be the future of Montreal, Minnesota, and Dallas. None of them panned out. Dustin Tokarski's in the minors for Anaheim. Darcy Kemper's now the only really good one because he's a starter for Arizona. Jack Campbell's a serviceable backup for LA. Not this season, but <laughs> but those three were supposed to be the heart and soul of their teams. Darcy Kemper is probably your starter if you move him anywhere, I think, depending on the team. There was definitely some more trade rumors, too, speaking of goalies. Uh, obviously, Nick Backstrom and Brandon Holpe are up after this year, as well as Ovechkin. You, re- you, you re-sign Ovechkin. You, you can't afford the other two, so who are you letting go? I think with the, how Samsonov's been playing, do you not keep Samsonov and let Holpe go? At least if, he's, if the contract isn't right. This is kind of similar to the Tampa Bay-Ben Bishop situation. But the problem is that... Objectively, Brian Holpe is a better goaltender than Ben Bishop, so it's like on the on the better on the worst half of thirty though. Ben Bishop was thirty. Brian Holpe is going to be thirty one or thirty two. So so that's only a one two year difference. But you're talking about he's probably going to want six years plus. That's what the rumor is. Are you going to pay Brian Holpe six years until he's thirty seven? I mean, with the way he's played the past two seasons. Not that he's been bad, but he hasn't been good. But okay. I mean, we've seen older goaltenders like Henrik Lundqvist and Pekka and Roberto Luongo play really well into their late 30s. How well did that work out for two of those goalies? Lundqvist is, has been bad the past three seasons. He has not been good. Luongo 
even if not for the injuries, was not good the past two years that he played. The only one that you can make the case for is Rene, but I think he's more of the exception than the rule. Because you look at guy, there's like there's more examples: Corey Crawford, Jonathan Quick. I mean, going back a little bit farther, I think about guys like even Jimmy Howard. Those guys who got longer deals are not playing very well. Wait, weren't you just saying the other day that Jimmy Howard was? Good? I said on this back and when we were talking about free agency, how he was going to be a free agent. I said he'd be a good goalie for people to pick up, not sign long term. Like right now, if you sign Jimmy Howard for a one-year, two-year deal at 35 years old for two million dollars, that's okay. If you're signing somebody like Jimmy Howard to six-year deals, you're probably not going to win. And that's what we're talking about here. If you're talking about a contract that follows you to your late 30s, early 40s. Like, if you'd signed him to a three-year deal, you're dumb. No. If we're talking about older goalies, I mean, Braden Holpe plays a similar style to a couple of those goalies, specifically Howard. Very, very all over the place. He's very floppy. How is that going to wear on his body? Like, you see what Howard's become. The, not that the Red Wings' success or failure is his fault, but... But I guess my point to ask you in a roundabout way is... If Braden Holpe in four years still plays for the Capitals, when the Capitals aren't good anymore... Is it going to be worth it? Or are they going to become another Red Wings team? I mean, obviously, I would keep Backstrom over him. Right. But the th- Holpe's just like... I, I, I don't know if I could see the Capitals getting rid of him. Do they have a choice? Because here's the other thing. Like I said, Ilya Samsonov has been a wildly highly touted prospect, and he's lived up to the expectations in both the AHL and NHL. Well, he hasn't played that much in the NHL yet. I mean, I mean fair. we've still got a long way to go with him. Right. Which, and again, you don't need to make a decision on him for a while, but it's sort of similar to Bishop Vasilevsky or Murray Fleury. At some point, especially with Seattle looming, you do have to make a decision in the next two years. Whether that's this year or next. Oh, geez, I didn't even think of Seattle. So if you sign Holpe, you're losing Samsonov. Or Holpe, who you just signed. Regardless, you don't have a choice in that. So I guess that's where I'm coming from. I don't know if you have a different opinion. Yeah, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. But just the thing is with Holpe is that he's one of Vesna, And he's sort of been one of the faces of Capitals hockey for a long time. So I think it's definitely going to be a hard decision for them to make. Well, you're, you are right with the Vesna, And the thing about the NHL that we know all too well is that uh, NHL GMs pay for... Things that have happened in the past, not things that are going to happen. A lot of times, that's a fault. So I think, I really do think what you're thinking is they are going to keep Holtby. And I, I can see that for sure. I don't know that they trust Samsonov enough. And GMs are dumb sometimes. I mean, we saw that when the Devils signed what's-his-name to a 13-year deal. And then he left like two years into Cold that. Chuck, yeah. yeah. That's basically all the trade rumors I can think of off the top of my head. But there was... I feel like the Wilds shopping some people. The Wilds are shopping, I think, everybody, as are the Kings. But no, like, major name. I mean, for being fair, the Wilds suck. Matt Dumba to Tampa Bay. You heard it here first. Yeah, I can't wait till you try to pay him in, like, shekels. Like, what do you what do you, what do you pay him in? You uh, have money. This, uh, this is going to be when Tyler Johnson finally gets traded. Oh, is it okay? I don't know. I mean, I love Tyler Johnson, but I don't know. He's just mediocre now. He's mediocre? one. He's one. He's one of my. Yes, <laughs> he's one of my favorite players. But it's like he's never going to reach back that eighty-point season he had. I forgot that he had eighty points. Well, it wasn't. Well, it was like 
70 something. Yeah, honestly. I mean, cool it was enough. like it was absurdly high. And this was before Kucherov was really good. So it was like this was when Tyler Johnson was like the next big thing. Another sort of big news is the coaches on the hot seat. There's two that I'm thinking of right now. And that is the Calgary coach. I always forget his name. Literally always forget his name. I was about to scream Bill Housley, but that doesn't sound right. Bill Peters. Thank you. You helped me. Uh, okay. I knew it was Bill something. And you were thinking of Phil Housley, by the way. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Bill- I'm not good with coaches, honestly. They're, they all kind of... They're all kind of the same to me, and it's hard for me to remember who's who because there's so many that go, just jump from team to team, yeah. and there's so many that get fired. So, allegedly, Bill Peters is one of them. The other one that I've seen a lot of people calling for his head, maybe rightfully so, is Mike Babcock, which uh, it seems to have come to a heat. Like, there was a gif of Kyle Dubas in the press box of Brendan Shanahan, and Mike Babcock made a really stupid overtime line that ended up losing the game, and you could see them visibly frustrated, like, talking. Like, uh, I think somebody got the words were basically, like, asking why. He knows they're going to line match. Like, that's what people read off of Dubas' lips. So why is he putting those lines out? Like, they basically calling out my Babcock behind the scenes. I don't know how much longer that relationship is going to last. I remember when Mike Babcock bolted from the Red Wings to sign with Toronto, and he was pretty much hailed as the next savior. He was going to be the answer for Toronto hockey. Is this just another way of the Toronto media just spewing smoke up everywhere, or is it is there actually just tension there? I think there's actual like a reason to be concerned there because, first of all, fun, fun time ended this uh, this summer between the William Nylander contract last year that was obviously a point of contention, Mitch Marner, the Austin Matthews. <laughs> criminal investigation. But the contract situation we'll fall under Kyle Dubas, not Mike Babcock. Well, it's also usage because here here's why. The the fun ends because Kyle Dubas isn't messing around anymore. Like these guys aren't young anymore. They they're getting paid. They need to play. Mike Babcock refused to play certain players in the right situations. He preferred to play guys like Roland, Roman Polak, Matt Hunwick, I think when he is still there. Nikita Zaitsev, and now Cody Cece over better players. Not even better offensive players or younger players, just better players. Like, they sat Justin Hole for Cody Cece most of the season so far. He's sitting Jason Spezza. I think there's real tension there. I think the GM is signing players the coach isn't going to use. Dubis, to his credit, has made mistakes, but he's also done a lot of good there. Mike Babcock, what goodwill has he built there? What has he done? Hi, I'm Mike Babcock. I'm the best coach in the league. That's, that, that's basically it. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from Mike Babcock's contract, he hasn't done anything. So I think it's worth asking. Like, Also, they have a guy in the minors who just won the Calder Cup with the Marlies, Sheldon Keefe. I, eventually, he's going to want to get promoted. I mean, he's done everything he can do in the AHL. The Marlies are great every year. Give him a shot. I don't know. But that seems to be the prevailing thought. And the other one that I want to hear your opinion on for sure is Cooper. So there's a lot of talk about potentially seeing a change there because the Lightning have uh, sucked eggs in high school. A lot of SpongeBob quotes today, by the way. Take it away. What do you think about Cooper? I mean, I feel like this has sort of been something that's been simmering under the surface for a couple of seasons now. Ever since the season when Steven Stamkos went down and the Lightning missed the playoffs by a point. It's sort of a thing, and... I want to over-scrutinize the Lightning, but the fact of the matter is is that you have 
on paper, almost objectively, one of the best, if not the best, teams in the National Hockey League. You have two number one defensemen in Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough. And then you have Mikhail Sergachev. You have Eric Saranac. And now they have... Foot? Well, no, not... Well, wait, do they have foot? Is I don't foot know if he's up yet, side? but they have uh, him. They have Shattenkirk, who was at one point the most coveted defenseman yeah. in the NHL. So they have five defensemen who could realistically be number twos. At the very least. Two of them have been number ones. You two, got of them have been, two of them have been number ones. Sergachev could have been a number one with the Canadians. Yeah. So. And Shankirk was a number two with the Blues forever. Mm-hmm. And that's just the blue line. I'm not even talking about the offensive lines where we have two number one lines. We have two number one centers. We have a bunch of wingers that can play all over the place. With this collection of talent, anything that is not a, a, a cup winning year is a complete failure. How come these other teams are as talented to get the cup? How come the St. Louis Blues were able to win a cup, but Tampa Bay wasn't? How come the Ottawa Senators were able to make the East Conference Finals one year, and the Tampa wasn't? How come the Chicago Blackhawks were able to win three cups in six years with a team that was not as good, which had more of their cap in four or five players than the Lightning's cap space? How much longer is the Lightning going to be able to hold on to young players for cheap deals when they realize we're not going anywhere with this coach? John Cooper is a coach that players love to play for, but for how long are they going to love playing under him when they're not blowing out competition? How come they're never prepared to play games? How come they got blown out by the Sanders a couple weeks ago? Again, with this collection of talent, it's it has to be Stanley Cup final or bust. Eiserman did everything he could to build a team that could win the Cup. This is a team that could win the Cup. How come we haven't yet? It's always excuse after excuse. It falls on Cooper. It has to. It's absurd with the collection of talent that you have. Well, I look at the coaches that were available this summer, and I'm really shocked that Brisbois, who is a new GM, did not get his own coach. Because, like, I look at how the Lightning are doing. Are you telling me that they wouldn't be doing better with Joel Quenville? Like, would that not have been so much better? Joel Quenville (laughs) would have had the Lightning win 70 games this year. Yeah, probably. Joel Quenville is, in my opinion, the best coach in the NHL. I think John I mean, Cooper... look at the Panthers right now. The, uh, they're uh, struggling, but... Their goaltender is playing like poop, <laughs> and they're still playing well. And they're still winning, yeah. I mean, like, it's incredible. And, like, look at the Chicago Blackhawks now after firing him. I think... The, weren't the Blackhawks just at the top of the West, though? Or not the West, in the top of their division? Well, I remember last year they just tanked really bad. I'll be too fair that the Central Division is also terrible this year. <laughs> Incorrect, but continue. But I've been on the John Cooper's a terrible coach for a while train, and he is proving me right because he's sort of just a player's coach. Like I think of like why Tortorella succeeded with the Lightning. It's because John Tortorella has this really weird style where he gets the most out of his players. Like yeah, he's an he's an old guy as far as like hockey goes, but he. Adapts. He understands the power of analytics. He understands how to use that in conjunction with your eyes and how to get the most out of players. But I think guys like John Cooper, they just kind of rely on their instincts. That's not how you win hockey anymore. You can't play the entire game on a piece of paper like an advanced like an advanced analytical coach would. I really think guys like Jeremy Carlton, the Blackhawks coach, are too analytical. But Somebody like John Cooper, who's just instinctual, doesn't succeed either. You need to have a good balance. That's what I think as far as that goes. 
as far as the rest of hockey, I think for the time being, that's all the surprises. I mean, we're still really early in the season. So do you want to pivot to the next big news in sports, the World Series? So the Washington Nationals won in seven games against the Houston Astros. And honestly, I kind of had a feeling that was going to happen when I saw them make the World Series. Not only did they win the World Series, they won their first ever playoff series. And then they won the World Series. And this is after they jettisoned <laughs> Bryce Harper. Dude, that's such a bad look. It's just such a bad They clinched the World Series like to make it there in the first place on his birthday. It's just so upsettingly funny that it happened. Crazy how sports works. Yeah, dude, it's it's something. I mean, Strasburg did opt out of his deal. I do think he'll be back. That team is set for the long term. Juan Soto looks like an absolute monster. They have the best pitcher in baseball, Max Scherzer. We're going to get back to that in a second. All right. Because I'm going to put an early hot take out there for, for a little bit later in the baseball talk. All I right. think Max Scherzer is the most overrated pitcher in baseball. But we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. Whoa. That <laughs> uh, was, whoa. For most overrated, I would not go with that. I've him, been saying right. that for a while. But the Nationals beat the Astros. Obviously, the Astros were not very good in the playoffs. I mean, Jose Altuve struggled a little bit. Uh, Alex Bregman was in a slump for quite some time. The pitching, aside from Garrett Cole, was abysmal. Yeah, um, what's his name? The guy they traded for? can't remember Greinke? his name. Yes, he did not play good at all. Greinke was all right, no, but he, not, he, no, he didn't not play playoff good. material for sure. It's like it was literally... Like, the only reason why the Astros got past the race was because Garrett Cole was like, okay, let me retire 15 batters in each of my starts. And here's the thing. Garrett Cole, who was available off the bench, could have pitched and probably would have won that game, did not play. They did not play him. The next day, in his exit interview, he's wearing a hat with only his his agent, like his sports agency on it, not in uniform. And when they asked him, he's like, I'm not an employee of the team anymore. He already said his goodbye to Houston. He's not coming back. There's like a 1% chance that Houston backs up the truck and then he comes back. But like, I wouldn't either. You didn't use me. Garrett Cole can win anywhere. I know, first off, I don't know how good of a coach I would be in baseball. Probably not that good. I don't don't think so. (laughs) But I mean, I always go with the hot hand. So Garrett Cole, in each of his starts, well, in most of his starts, he played really, 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 really good. And he didn't lose a game since like January, so it's been he almost was twenty and zero since April. It's like absurd with a one nine six or a one eight six. That's incredible. It, it's nuts, and it's like you know what I would have done that World Series. I would have started him every game. Why not? That's why you're not a coach. <laughs> I mean, hey, why not? Uh, and I think you can make the argument that Garrett Cole is the best pitcher on the market, like for this uh, offseason. Oh, absolutely! Like, who else is on the market? Well, Strasburg, but I think Strasburg. Well, first off, Strasburg's not even the number one pitcher on his team. So again, we're going to discuss this shortly. Okay. So the playoffs were obviously pretty exciting. Honestly, uh, I was pretty happy with how the Rays played. They were a pleasant surprise for me. I thought they were going to get absolutely smacked around by the Astros, but they had a lot of fight in them. They had a high log grit. I'll have to ask you, because I honestly did not watch the first round for the other race. Like, who did you think was a standout? So, the first game, they got punched in the mouth real bad. <laughs> okay. And then it's like, it, so it became like a back-and-forth slugfest. And then uh, game seven was pretty, like, you know, heart-racing kind of thing. Okay. So, as far as, like, 
Who do you, is there anybody you don't want to see back next year? Or is there somebody who's leaving that you want to see back? I mean, it could be a coach, player. Sort of just to get the pulse of you for right now. I'm trying to think. So honestly, I don't know who our free agents are going to be. I don't think so. it's anybody big. No, watch. It's probably like Blake Snell, obviously. Oh, no, but I, I don't man. think you guys have anybody big up. I think Kiermaier might be up, though. Kiermaier is probably my favorite player. Yeah, I love and Kiermaier. it's absurd how little attention he gets. Everyone knows him because he's a defensive center fielder, but all you hear about is, oh, he's not that good of a batter. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this man can literally jump like 800 feet. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, fast. He steals a lot of bases. He is incredibly fast. He is probably one of the most athletic people mm-hmm. in baseball. But the problem is that he plays for a tiny market. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, plays one, like what, the Golden Glove, the Platinum Glove or whatever, like three, four times? Well, it's did, absurd. Did you see that they were, this is a bit of a tangent, but we're all in Tampa, so did you see that they're thinking of playing uh, like 30 of their games every year in Montreal? Uh, they asked that last time Did I they? Checked. Okay. Yeah, that's not happening. Okay. I also have something about that in football that we'll talk about when we get the football. So the, Is it the London thing? There. Yes. Okay, we'll get to that. Don't worry. So let's see race. As far as the Yankees, I had a tweet. <laughs> I, I had a tweet. Um, I'm going to pull up and just kind of read off my cliff notes of it. So already my wish list is complete because we got rid of Larry Rothschild, who was our pitching coach and was awful. But even more to the fact, I think our only major thing this offseason should be to try to get rid of Clint Frazier because I love Clint Frazier. I know he doesn't listen to the show, obviously, but I, I really want to see him succeed, and I know it's just not going to be here. He's not going to get the opportunity. Get rid of, if you can, get rid of Jacoby Ellsbury. Keep Brett Gardner, and you need to sign Garrett Cole. This offseason is a failure unless you get Garrett Cole because we need a pitcher. He's available for nothing but money. He was in our system at one point, so why not go back out and get him? That's my thought on the Yankees. The other teams that sort of addressed their needs already, I guess you saw the Phillies hired Joe Girardi. Ooh. Yeah, they hired Joe Girardi, and then the Mets hired Carlos Beltran. But the hot stove is going to be hot. I mean, J.D. Martinez just screwed the Red Sox. He just opted into his five-year, uh, three-year deal. So they're going to be over the luxury cap. They're probably going to lose Mookie. That team is going to be... They're, they're in a situation. And then their team sort of right now is just sort of pivoting. I mean... Obviously, Joe Madden is coaching somewhere. I probably should know who he's coaching for. Uh, maybe. But regardless. Wait, he's not with the Cubs anymore? No. I want to see it's the Padres. Let me, let me look it up. I would say come back to Tampa, but, I mean, Cash is doing really well. Uh, oh, the Angels, I think. Yeah. So. Um, Ooh, all right. Yeah, Him Joe, and Mike Trout? Ooh, yeah. interesting. So that'll be interesting. Um, but, yeah, so that's. Speaking of which, what's your opinion of Kevin Cash? I like Kevin Cash. I've liked Kevin Cash for a while. I think he's a good coach. The one thing that I love that he does is he gets really creative with pitching. Oh, you mean like opening? Yeah, it's like, if you're not aware, Tampa Bay, they have what they call an opener I think everybody's aware of it at this point. Are they? This is not a new concept. Okay. So sometimes they have like their closers play as openers, or sometimes they (laughs) play like starters as a closer. Like, I think one time they had Blake Snell as the closer for, like, a game. And, like, you know, of course, like, he just, like, sunk the whole inning. Yeah. So, so I mean, like, it's just I really like how creative he gets with pitching combinations because if I was a coach, I would do the same thing. I mean, why not? Reinvent the wheel, see what happens. <laughs> Kevin Cash, he's, he's reinventing the wheel and calling he's, it something different. I mean, he's creative. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I love seeing new things. That, that's also, like, with football, why Cal Shanahan's one of my favorite coaches. He's just, like... 
he had a dumpster fire of a team and he would still get them to win. That's good coaching. And that's because he's very creative with his play design. So uh, that's a nice little segue. We'll pivot because there's not much baseball news right now. We're in the we're in the roster freeze, I think, or getting there. So we'll get back to that on a later date too. But um, football is obviously right in the middle of the season. We're going to start with the thing that broke today, which is the London stuff. Why don't you take us away, Parker? All right. So the NFL and the San Diego, I'm sorry, <clears throat> the Los Angeles Chargers, <laughs> excuse me, they should still be in San Diego. They're exploring relocating the Chargers to London. If they relocate to London, I saw this post by CBS Sports that there's two scenarios that could happen for like restructuring the divisions. The first one's that the Chargers go to the AFC South, replacing the Texans, and then the Texans go to the AFC West. The other scenario, which is one that I hope it happens if this happens, is that the Chargers move to the AFC East, replacing the Dolphins. The Dolphins go to the AFC South, replacing the Texans, and the Texans go to the AFC West, replacing the Chargers. You know why I want that? Because the Dolphins' division rivals will be the Titans, the Jaguars, and the Colts. Division championship every year, baby. Especially if we get Tua. <laughs> Aside from your pipe dream. <laughs> the, uh, I will live this pipe dream until the draft. The London series that is probably... First of all, let me just say, I don't think this is going to happen. The, yeah, I, I truthfully hope it doesn't happen. The, but it's really something that they're trying to push for. The travel, the jet lag, the logistics of it are just awful. But regardless... And if they were going to relocate a team there, it would be the Jaguars because the Jaguars are the only team there that has fans. I saw a really good, <laughs> I saw a really good tweet today, and it was, if they relocate to London, <laughs> San Diego will lose like 9% of their population from Philip Rivers' family alone. <laughs> so Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I swear, I feel like London has more Jacksonville fans than Jacksonville. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, that's really sad. Because they don't even follow football in England. They follow soccer. They follow Premier League. And, and rugby. Like, I feel like, like football's like the third. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, that's pathetic. There's nothing else to even say. Like, the London, it's just such a dumb idea. Yeah, the logistics are very terrible. Out, like, I mean, because you got to think about it that playing in London with the jet lag is a huge disadvantage to teams. First off, It'll be a huge disadvantage for the teams that are in the division with the Chargers because that means they have two guaranteed games of flying over there. While with other teams, especially in the other division, like, say, the West, who don't have to play the Chargers, they don't have to worry about that. Right. So that's a disadvantage there. And it's also a huge disadvantage for the Chargers because they're going to have to keep flying back and forth, back and forth from London. So they're going to have to set up the schedule to where it's like they have a bunch of home games and they have a bunch of away games or something like that, and it's just going to be a mess. And the Chargers are going to be have so much jet lag that it's just they're not really going to be good. Well, also, like, there, there's so many things. You just got to L.A. two years ago. I understand that the attendance is not what you want, but maybe you don't be terrible. Also, also, like, if you have a Super Bowl scenario where it is the Chargers versus the Seahawks, we'll say, two teams that are London and Seattle, like, that is a long well, distance. Well, well you got to remember they could be playing at a neutral site. I, I'm saying, though, like, you're already talking about Seattle. Let's say they play wherever, even in the East. You're talking about them having three hours of jet lag. From London, you got four. Like, you're talking about two teams. That is going to be an awful game. I wouldn't want to watch that. I mean, it's... I don't know. I, I, like, there's just so much wrong with it. Also, think about this. Like, a continental flight can get canceled for anything. Like, they can cancel way faster. I know it's a team flight, but still, if there's, like, a... They play football in the winter. 
If if it's a slow storm, you're not getting out of Heathrow. Like, do you really think that's gonna happen? I mean, I think there's a reason why they don't play London games until December. Y- yeah, obviously. So yeah, it's there's just so many logistical problems. Idea. A lot of it's really basic stuff too, like scheduling. Scheduling right. is a nightmare already. Imagine trying to accommodate London. Right, because I think at this point, if you're moving them, you move them to the AFC East to make things easier. Because at very worst, that is the East, or maybe the North, depending which way you... I mean, regardless, it's a terrible idea. And that's not to say that there can't be an NFL team in London. But maybe start with people from there, or start with... Maybe focus on teams around the States or Canada first. Because Toronto's been pushing for an NFL team forever. I mean, there's a market yeah, there. Yeah, and they have a baseball team. They have a hockey team. They have a basketball team. They have the arena to fit it. Why they, not? They're a sports city, after they, all. It's six million people. You could, you're could. you telling me you couldn't get the same amount of attendance LA's getting now, plus? And they already have the Toronto Argonauts, so... <laughs> the Argonauts, say what you want, are successful. Popul- with they are watching. a good CFL team. And people watch them. People pay to watch them. So just put them in the NFL. And they can sign a lot of free agents in the NFL that are probably could help ro- them roster like backups and stuff, so they could still be a competitive team. Right, and uh, like here's the thing too: like if you're gonna start a team, even if you want to break off to another country, you've got Mexico City and Toronto. I mean, neither one are great options. Is, is at the there moment, a but Mexico City game this year? Because I know I don't know. I know they were supposed to be on last year with like I believe it was the Raiders and Patriots. I could be wrong. Yeah, not positive. Or, or it was like the Texans or something, but they called it off because like the stadium was like a complete mess. Yeah, no, like, I'm the not field positive. Was but like really bad. I mean, that's also an option. Like, uh, but breaking off the London discussion because there's not really much to say. It's just a stupid idea. What what surprised you most this year? That's a good one. There's, I feel like the Bears. Really. I was never sold on Mitchell Trubisky, but it's like he took a step forward last year in his development. He had a game where he threw six touchdowns or something like that. I don't understand how he's playing worse right now than he did his rookie year. He took, I don't know how he fell off so bad. He took one step forward and took the A train back. Like, he is so bad this year. And not only that, but their coach should get fired. Yeah. I mean, I remember he made a, a quote where it's like he had the team take a knee instead of pushing to make the field goal shorter because he didn't want to take a sack or like a fumble or an interception or something like that. And I'm thinking, that's not playing the win. That's playing not to lose. And he ended up losing. Yep. I mean, you were hired because you were an offensive coach. You came straight from the Andy Reid coaching tree in Kansas City. Offense is supposed to be your bread and butter. And you're scared to put your offense on the field? Yeah. You should get fired immediately just for that. At least in my opinion. And the Bears aren't known for their offense. They're known for the defense. The defense because they're clear back. Like... Like, this is a joke. Come on. I'm not going to say this is a surprise, but I'm going to take the easy route out here. I'm going to say the most surprising thing to me is the Browns. Like, I think we all sort of knew that the hype wasn't real. But, man, Baker Mayfield's been garbage. Like, he's been awful. I mean, that whole team's been garbage. I think Freddie Kitchens isn't ready to be a head coach. I think he's a good position coach. I think he's a good offensive coordinator. But I feel like sometimes we see this in coaching where coordinators are too quick to jump the head coaching roles before they're ready. I don't know. I'm, I think the jury's still on Matt Patricia a little bit. I don't think the Lions are that bad. They're a competitive team. Say what you will. They were good on both sides of the ball. They've just been unlucky in some games. Freddie Kitchens, he was the quarterback's coach before he got elevated to offense coordinator because they fired Todd Haley. 
Right. I, I mean, I believe it was Todd Haley. That sounds right, yeah. It, Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson. And then uh, pretty much, so he wasn't even a coordinator for a full season. And then he got jumped up to head coach. When a year ago, he was just the coach for the quarterbacks. Right. So I just think he isn't ready yet to be That's a head true, coach. Yeah, because to be I a head coach, that. you're not worrying about one position. You're not worrying about one Area, skill group. Right. You're responsible for managing the whole team. And this is something I notice a lot with coordinators when they jump up the coaching positions. Like Adam Gase. He, Which we will get to with, him. Like with the Jets and when he was with the Dolphins, he doesn't look at the defense at all. He, he lets the defensive coordinator do that. He looks at the offense. But when you're the head coach, you're supposed to oversee the entire Everything, team. Right. That's the reason why you have an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator. If you're just taking over for the offensive coordinator position, why do you have one? Right. I noticed this a lot with offensive coaches. Yeah, no, that's fair. Like, there's a lot of offensive, offensive coordinators who, when they get bumped up to head coaches, they're not good. Now, well, there's two exceptions to this with Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. I mean, they're both great. Well, let me give you a reason why. You take a take the defensive coach, like, Matt Patricia was defensive coach, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he, like you're right. He, he has been successful. I didn't mean to, like, it wasn't a shot at him. It's just, like, the Lions and the Lions. We, we know what they are. Right. When you're a defensive coordinator in any sport, but particularly football, you know what works to stop teams. You understand schemes to it. Like, that is your thing. Yeah, there's a reason why defensive coordinators, especially really seasoned ones, end up becoming really good head coaches. Like, Bill Belichick was defensive coordinator. Uh, Vic Fangio for the Broncos, this is like, they finally have a head coach now. And, you know, he's been a coordinator forever. These are both just, these are just two defensive coordinators off the top of my head. Right, I mean, like, really good head coaches. Like you know how to like stop other teams, and you also know what works. Right, because when you coordinate a defense, you need to know how the offense works. Right, in order to stop that offense. But, With offense, you're just trying to put points on the board. You're not really looking how to solve a defense. Right, it's not. It's not how you do it. It's how many. Like right. It, also, take a guy like let's say. I can't even say the Jets because they sucked. Let's just say like Kyle Shanahan. Like Kyle Shanahan when he was with the uh, Patriots, right? Uh, Kyle Shanahan, he was with the Falcons. Falcons, sorry, yeah. And uh, also, let me just say, look at how bad the Falcons are now without him. They're one and right. seven. I mean, like, come on. Like, let's say, for example, like he understands the offense because Julio Jones, all you got to do is get the ball to him. But also, if he was bad, we know why. Because all he had to do is get Julio Jones. The fact that he's good is good on him. Well, the thing with Kyle Shanahan is that he did an offense where he had two running backs and he had a quarterback that would be able to throw the ball anywhere on the field. While Julio Jones would be the focal point, he also had Mohamed Sanu. He also had that one super-fast receiver who's now with the Browns. I forget his name, but it's it's whatever. But he had a really good season in in Atlanta. But he also, you got to remember, he's the son of Mike Shanahan, who won two Super Bowls, been a coach for over 20 years, coached for multiple different teams, who was also a very good offensive coach in his own right right so Shanahan the thing that sort of separates him from other offensive coordinators is just he isn't just looking at how to make a good offense he's looking to make an offense that could beat any defense that's why like his offense completely changes every game they play because they always mold it against like what the defense is putting right out scheme there. fitting yeah now Adam Gase is Adam Gase a football guy no Adam Gase <laughs> first off is very awkward. He acts like he's an alpha male, but he's really not. He's actually, I would call him a beta male. Yeah. He 
acts like a player's coach. But really what that means is that he ends up just having really undisciplined teams that don't know how to play seriously. He doesn't know how to play players. He loves taking players from teams he's previously coached for. So like when he was with the Dolphins, he brought in a bunch of older players from the Broncos and the Bears. Like he pushed really hard to get CJ Anderson on the team. He lured Jay Cutler out of retirement when Ryan Tannehill died. <laughs> he had a bunch of offensive linemen that played with him in Chicago and Denver, like Jermon Bushrod. Julius Thomas, remember him? Remember that yep. tight end when Peyton Manning was really good? Yep. And, you know, he, he looked like the best tight end in the game or one of the best tight ends in the game. He picks players that he likes and he always plays them. Sometimes he gets players that he doesn't know how to play, like Jay Ajayi. Jay Ajayi had one good year in spite of Adam Gase. Adam Gase didn't want to play him, but he right. had to because he put up three 200-yard games, or I think it was two 200-yard games. Uh, both were against the Bills, by the way. <laughs> Well, because J.J. was his kind of running back. He likes running backs that can catch the ball out of the backfield and run around everywhere. Well, J.J. was just point A to point B. Right. Run through the tackles. So he picks favorites. He can't manage a team because he only looks at the offense. But the problem is that the offense he runs isn't even good to begin with. He's been running off the coattails of being responsible for Peyton Manning's highest statistical season ever. One of the highest statistical seasons by a quarterback in NFL history. One of the best offenses in NFL history. That wasn't because of him, though. That was because of Peyton Manning. Yeah. And not only that, but I believe Mike McCoy was there, too. And Mike McCoy was the offensive coordinator. Adam Gase was the quarterback's coach. Right. I, I believe this was how it was in 2014, because that year was when Mike McCoy got hired by the Chargers. My, my dates might be wrong, but I know at one point Mike McCoy was the offensive coordinator and Adam Gase was the quarterback's coach. Which, how much coaching does Peyton Manning need? <laughs> Peyton Manning's his own quarterback. Like he's he could disciplined be, enough. He could be a coach if he wanted to. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, definitely a position coach at the very least. Yeah, no, he's got the brain for it. Adam Gase, like there's so many like little pieces out there now that are just skewering him because he he can't handle the media either. Well, like he's like, got the New York media is notorious for being ruthless. Well, Todd Bowles figured that out pretty soon. Pretty uh -huh. quickly, yeah, but like Adam Gase, there's so many like pieces about him. Like the day his his. Like, his children were born. He, like, left to go to a meeting, and he, like, had to be there because he had to keep some streak up. He keeps – he has binders. Like, they have three closets in his new house full of binders because he keeps notes from every game. He has a file for every day he's coached in the NFL of what went right, what went wrong. He got told by players that he needs to stop calling them at 2 a.m. He said he, at various points his wife – told this like one reporter he usually comes home at two and is gone by six he only on off days he'll catch up on sleep for 24 hours that's not it's not a good coach it's just a terrible way to live it's not a good way to coach people and that's terrible time management too absolutely which if we've seen anything with the jets offense it's time management sucks yeah his clock management skills are kind of questionable as well like he, he's just not a good coach he yeah it kind of shows he's disorganized mm -hmm. in his private life and yep. it shows on the field there's an old proverb that we use all the time during my hop keto class and it's work smart not hard just because right. you're working hard doesn't mean you're doing it right right just be smart about what you're doing and he's not being smart about what he's doing he another problem with him is that he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room <laughs> yes. and you can't even do that unless if you produce and you have results and he hasn't right so getting off of adam gase and coaching so i told you i had a hot take the sures are one we're gonna leave for another time but the hot take i have is Mika Fitzpatrick is the best safety in the AFC. No. Uh, you could say no. Derwin James. No. Mika Fitzpatrick. Actually, no. Not even Derwin James. I, I am loving Mika Fitzpatrick. I, obviously, I understand that uh, he's not the best safety, but he is incredible. 
the draft pick we paid oh, for yeah. was uh, Eric Berry. Sorry, Eric Berry is the best safety in the AFC. The 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 well, that's NFC. We're AFC. Kansas City's AFC. Oh, I thought you said NFC. Okay, I'm loving Minka Fitzpatrick in Pittsburgh. Very worth the draft pick. He's been incredible. That's that's my hot take. Just want to put it out there. I wish Miami was able to hold on to him. But three he, picks in six games. He didn't want to stay in Miami. Yeah. And he wanted to stick with one position. But the problem is that he was good at multiple. So the coaching staff wanted to put him at multiple positions, and he right. didn't want to do that. He just wanted to play in one. So I don't blame like, him. He's good at that one. He's like I said, yeah. three picks in six. But he's days. good at all of them yeah. though. So they, they would sort of like they, they would they would play him at like as a Swiss Army knife more or less, but he just wanted to play one position. They were like, no. He was like, all right, I don't want to be here anymore. This team sucks. Yeah. Let me go. And hey, depending on how the Steelers do this year, that might actually be a higher pick than when he was drafted. He was drafted tenth. No, he was drafted eleventh. I think could be top five. I think in spite of the fact that Roethlisberger's down for the season, and in spite of the fact that Connor's hurt, I think we're still going to be a at least top fifteen team. I don't think we're necessarily going to be a good playoff team or even a playoff team. I think your ceiling is 8 and 8. I don't think that pick is going to be very high. I see the pick going like 15, 16. I don't see you guys getting a top pick out of that. I see it being around 10 at, at, it's, at least. That defense is too good and our schedule is not that hard. Like, I think we play the Patriots once now, but aside from that, like, we don't really have that many hard teams. I mean, you almost lost the Dolphins, so I mean, like, I don't know, dude. We also didn't have our best running back. Yeah, well, you, actually, yes, you did. James Conner played that game. But he just came off injury. So was he 100%? Absolutely well, not. You still played the Dolphins and he almost lost. So That's the fault of our coach, which I think Mike Tomlin being a good or bad coach is a whole uh, story. Okay, So Mike Tomlin is an interesting coach because he's not an X's nose guy, but he's a manager of the whole team, which is a good head coach. Right. His strength was taking all these personalities, Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, Martavis Bryant, and relax on that fourth one because okay. that never worked. Okay, well, it did work for one season. Did it? Because he was still suspended for three games that year. Well, regardless, he had a team of all these personalities and he made it work. Not just for one year, but for several. Right. Until the personalities became too much and they wanted nothing to do with the Steelers. Which we've kind of hit reset on that because every locker room has egos. Aside from Roethlisberger, I don't see Connor having a major ego. Juju does not have a major ego. He's very lovable. Juju is the most like team player I've seen in a long time. TJ Watt, all he wants to do is play football. <laughs> TJ like, Watt just loves football. Like our whole defense, which is our core, thankfully again, which is what the Steelers football should be about, is defense. They're good, young, and they don't really they don't really care about anything other than football. That's what it should be. Antonio Brown is all about Antonio Brown. Business is booming, baby. Dude, business is closed. <laughs> like, it's been an interesting start to the season. We're, what are we, halfway through, roughly? Yeah. It's a little too... Okay, for us, it's never too early for playoff predictions, but we kind of beat that that, that drum too hard in the offseason because there was nothing to talk about. So we'll let that go for a couple more episodes. Who do you see being the one that comes out on top? If Just one team. Patriots. Really? I'm, following, I'm, yeah. I'm on the Ravens train. Really? Okay, we'll see. The Patriots are a whole different beast when they hit the playoffs. The Ravens were the first real team that they played this year, so they got smacked in the mouth because they were playing scrubs. <laughs> so Bill Belichick's not going to let that happen again. <laughs> um, they were playing scrubs. <laughs> until they prove me otherwise, I don't care how badly Brady plays, it's still the Patriots. <laughs> it's always very foolish to bet against the Patriots. That's and fair. Again, until they prove me otherwise, I'm going with the Patriots. We'll see. 
I really do like what the Ravens bring, even though I don't like the Ravens. I think that they've got a good team. Lamar Jackson's pretty good. Although, honestly, like... I will say John Harbaugh is one of my favorite coaches in the NFL. Yeah, I do like Harbaugh. I never liked his brother. And fun fact about Harbaugh, he was a special teams coordinator. Fun he, fact. He, he wasn't even an offensive or defense. Again, game manager. Sure. Could manage the whole team. I digress. We're going to bounce around a little bit here at the end of the show. couple things, though. I, I really hope that you started following Premier League. Have you started following it at all? I don't have time. Okay, that that's fair. The Okay, we're just going to call this my corner because I have some frustrations I'd like to vent about the Tottenham Hotspur. Tottenham Hotspur are supposed to be the top four team in the, in the Premier League, and we are in 10th. We have only taken 10 or 11 points out of a possible 30, which is not good. Our goalie is probably done for two months. Pochettino needs to figure it out. I, I'm just very upset he's spaghetti with my team. I, I wanted to vent that, so I dedicated this little time to venting my frustrations with the Tottenham Hotspur. Th- that time is done, but I wanted to make that known. I don't know anything about Premier League, so I, I honestly That's can't okay. This is really this. just a place for me to vent. And we're going to play a little quick trivia game. Uh, we started doing this at the end of, last, uh, at the, end of the uh, second season. So I'm going to just ask you one question, and then we're going to award our Dafty Award. Okay? So, Parker, pick any sport you want. Football. Okay. Can you name the last five Super Bowl winners in order? Yes, I can. Okay. All right, so this year was the Patriots. Last year was the Eagles. The year before that was the Patriots. The year before that was the Broncos. And the year before that was the I believe that was also the Patriots. Oh, he got all five. I'm very proud of you. Okay, so last thing on the agenda, the Dafties. Uh, We're going to do this every episode. Uh, They're at the starter end. We're going to award a Award for the daftest pick in sports. So, what would you think was the dumbest play in sports this week, Parker? The entire Miami <laughs> Dolphins-New York Jets game. Okay. There's one play in particular where the Jets were backed up. Was it the safety? And it was the safety where the ball flew right past Sam Darnold's head. He <laughs> didn't realize it flew past his head until it was like already <laughs> in the end zone. He's like, oh, crap. Ran to go get it. Couldn't even get it. And it was just like, well, that's a safety. And, you know, the same thing happened to the Dolphins earlier that game. So, yeah, both teams took a safety. That's how inept both teams are. You, you took mine, so I'm going to go to my second one. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say the dumbest play came in the World Series, and it was not playing Garrett Cole. Oh, and that doesn't count. That's not a play, yeah, though. Not, well, you took that's mine. Not, that's not that a, is play. a play. That, he chose to not play somebody, therefore it is a play. Well, well here's the thing. Well, we both have a consensus on the Miami Jets game. So, I'm going to stick with Garrett Cole. So, let, so let's just go. Okay, so the consensus uh, bad decision was deciding to allow that game to happen. And if you <laughs> decide to waste your time watching that, then I am very sorry. No, no, no. Consensus is thinking that moving to London was a good idea. That's also not an in-game decision. Or <laughs> all right. Like that. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back very soon, hopefully with some guests. We'll have a holiday-themed episode coming up in about a month or so. Without further ado, look forward to a new intro very soon. So on behalf of Parker and I, thank you for listening. And don't forget, Max Scherzer is overrated.